Hello and welcome to the Code Voyagers podcast. Uh, we've been away for a little bit and so this is the first in season two of our podcast. That break was completely intentional. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about projects outside of work. Why do you do them? What do you get out of them? And uh, does your company benefit from them? So here we are with episode one of season two. Okay, so for this week's chat, I have two guests with me. Um, first up, we've got... Robbie Cole. I'm a internationalisation engine here at Skyscanner. I've been here about three years, three and a half now. Every time you say internationalisation engineer, I expect you to say international man of mystery. I can it, also say that. It disappoints me every time. because I'm an international man of mystery. <laughs> and there's the Sean Connery impression, straight <laughs> off. And also, we have... Hi, I'm Milan, and I'm a software engineer at Skyscanner. Cool. Um, so the topic that we're going to talk about this week is projects outside of work. So Code Voyagers is about how we build things at Skyscanner, but I think a big part of what we do is our interests outside of work. And I think that, well, hopefully at the end of this chat, we'll see that that influences what we do in the office as well as outside the office. Um, so you both have projects that you work on outside of Skyscanner. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Yes. Yeah, so in my spare time, I'm making a video game. Um, entirely by myself because there's nothing like being sheer bloody mindedness. Uh, it's a sci-fi hack and slash action adventure with robots exploding each other um, lots. So there's a lot of obvious crossover with Skyscanner straight away. Oh, there. absolutely, yeah. yes. And it's indistinguishable, almost. loving and peaceful and vibrant and <laughs> all the rest of it. And how about you, Milan? What's your project? So <clears throat> as my side projects, I contribute to React and React Native um, and I also contribute to some other projects whenever I find them interesting and so on. So yeah, it's using some of the tech that we use at work and just expanding uh, on experiences. So part of the reason I picked you two to come on this was because I knew there were very different projects. Um, Robbie, yours is a, a game you're working on in your own time. Um, Milan, yours is a open source project. With, That's correct. I mean, I guess, how many people are on the React project? I don't even know. There's definitely over a thousand contributors overall. But some of the people are core maintainers. Some of the people are you know, one-off uh, to uh, do a few contributions and so on. So it varies. I mean, it's officially uh, maintained by Facebook, but there's a whole lot of contributors. So I guess um, you guys code for your nine-to-five jobs. Um, what was the motivations behind doing extra work outside of the office? I guess for me, it, it was mostly just experimenting with uh, new tech, sort of learning uh, what's out there seeing you know how other people do do their work how does actual open source work even you know how, how do you get started and things like that it's also kind of like learning a different paradigm of working and trying to use some of the knowledge that you can at work to to apply to op- to open source and then vice versa mm-hmm. so learning a new technology was a big thing for you there yeah pretty much and it's also you know giving back to the community we use open source all the time and therefore it only seems right to actually contribute back so while Milan is working on a big project that will be used by lots of people and lots of people benefit from his work, Robbie, your work's very different. <laughs> My work is a, a labour of love. Um, I, well, at the risk of being a monster stereotype, I enjoy video games. Um, I've always been a bit of a had, a... had a desire to tell stories and I enjoy playing video games and enjoy telling stories and I enjoy giant robots blowing each other up. So I figured this is the... This is where my heart belongs, is, is bringing them to life. 
But I mean, just from the, I mean, the, there's the hobby side of it and the, the fun of storytelling, which I guess is very different from what you do in work. Um, there must be a tech angle to it as well. Yes. Yeah, so I, there, there is an element of capability in that. Yeah, I, I have ever as a as a trained engineer in the real world, I can. I, I'm not like video making video games is a very very difficult thing to do. So the fact that I can do it gives me a lot of pleasure, and it's like so rather than yeah being limited to just only doing 3D models or only doing the story writing or that kind of thing, I can actually I have the ability to do all of it. So there's a little bit of bloody mindedness in that, like because I can. I must, <laughs> in that sense. Because it's so different from your day job, do you find that it kind of exercises your brain in a different way? Uh, I would say I take more liberties with it. Because um, <laughs> obviously in, in my day job, we have a highly available, you know, multi-million pound business. Um, whereas if something cracks in my game, then the only person that hurts is me because I haven't released it yet. <laughs> so. so I guess that's interesting because again, your project being a, a solo contributor, um, it is a labour of love for you. You know where the cracks are in that. You can get away with, I guess, not the same level of rigour that you'd put in your day job. Uh, let's put it this way. Um, I did a, I did a, a bit of a metrics analysis of, uh, a couple of months ago. 5,000 lines of code and not a single unit test. <laughs> and I'm guessing that is hugely different to how an open source project must work. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm guessing if you were going to try and pull that on an open source project, what I mean, would happen? <laughs> It would be it would be really hard. Like it would be really hard to actually know what you end up breaking. It would be extremely difficult to onboard new people because mm. they wouldn't feel comfortable contributing to a a project which they can't actually you know be certain of. So having having those tests or having you know some form of some 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 ability to actually verify that your solution somewhat works does give you the ability to onboard new people. Mm. But yeah, there must be. A lot of freedom in not writing the unit test yeah. and just playing around with the code like yeah but, but then again even you know when i like, i've been working on this particular project for about three years now so if I you have, had tests you'd probably be done by now well no more <laughs> that if i if i refactor a chunky system i have absolutely no idea if it's going to keep working which <laughs> um you know it it uh, gives you a bit of an adrenaline rush sometimes but it you know it is there, there there's a it's a double-edged sword unit testing is not my favorite part of programming but you know the power it gives the, the the confidence and the safety it gives you in the real world is phenomenal so yeah it, it to not have it is at the one on the one hand yeah it means i can move really fast and break things because that's like 50% of my code, coding is doesn't you know it doesn't like 50% of my day job would be would be 50% coding 50% testing whereas with the game it's 100% pro programming crazy stuff mm. um so I get Comparing that to the open source world that you're working on, um, what do you think the balance there is? Is it a similar 50-50 testing and coding? Or um, I guess what's your role in that open source project as well? Are you mainly a contributor or are you a reviewer of other people's work? Or is that a bit of a mix? So I've done a, I've done a range of these things. I've uh, been reviewing and, and um, effectively being a member of the team for, for a while. Uh, recently, not, not so much, but um, I've been a, a member on the team. And so effectively my work would consist of either contributing myself, so effectively trying to fix issues that come up or you know helping other people solve their issues when, when we're trying to figure out what's the best API to, to use and so on. On the other hand, it's effectively reviewing pull requests, understanding what's this change, what does it bring to the, to the project, and do we actually wanna accept the change? Mm. Because you know, open source is great, but it's you know, free as in a puppy. 
like you have, you will have to keep it it's kind of like you're giving the code away and then someone else will have to help to maintain it so there's kind of like two sides to the story you have to when you contribute to a project you have to realize that you're giving the code to someone else but that someone else will have to look after it and then so and then from the maintenance perspective it is making the decision whether is this the direction that you want to take the project is it you know within in line with your sort of longer term goals is it with in line with the architecture that you're trying to pursue mm -hmm. and overall sometimes it may be really hard because you're looking at a, at a pull request and you're thinking well this isn't really what we want but then you don't want to hurt the people so there is the element of that you kind of you know you have to let them down easily and nicely <laughs> and there are ways you can you can do that you have to go about it nicely and you can say you know this this is a great pull request i really like the style but this isn't something that i would like to pursue at this point well this, is, so this is interesting i guess in comparing that to i mean at skyscanner we operate a pseudo open source model you know we we encourage other departments and other teams to to contribute to our code base you know it, it's a shared code base as long as you meet the code and guidelines and tests and so on um i guess one difference between working here and working on a truly open source project is you've had to go through a recruitment process to work at Skyscanner. We know that there's a, a quality level. I guess on an open source project, is there a similar recruitment policy or is it just anyone can submit a, a merge request to the project? I mean, anyone can submit a merge request and I would, I would uh, advise everyone to do so. I mean, that's the great thing about it because everyone, can, everyone has great ideas. They may not be implemented the right way at that point, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it's a it should be immediately rejected. We can always iterate and, and solve the problem. So mm. everyone should, if, if they feel like they've got something to add to the project, then adding it is, is the right thing to do. I guess, and, uh, sorry, go And just sort of, yeah, there's, there's not really a recruitment process as such. It's more or less, do you have a good idea and are you willing to contribute? Mm -hmm. And that's all, all that counts. I mean, Robbie, are you now at the position where, imagine you thought, you know what, I'll get the game done if I get someone to help me. Are you at the point now where you would be horrified to show the code to someone else? Yes. Um, that's the thing. Is like, as, as you're saying, when, um, when you do an open source commit, you give it back to somebody. You're giving it to somebody else, whereas I know that it's me. Any any horrible, horrible steaming pile that I produce, <laughs> it's it's only, you know, it, it's in a way, it's, that's the way you can... I, I'm com more comfortable producing things that are less good in service of the end result because I know that it's only me that has to deal with any fallout. So mm. would I get out of somebody else to help me? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's also a part from in terms of why I'm doing it. It's a, it's a, it's an artistic expression thing. So I, I don't know if I could work with somebody else or <laughs> if somebody would be willing to work with me because I would get quite emotional and irrational about it, <laughs> which I don't do about my normal work because it's a remove, you know, that allows you to, be more sensible about things. Whereas... I, mean, I guess the the reason you're doing this, the motivation behind it, is um, less technical and more. Uh, is it more of a hobby? I guess. That uh, you're it, it, game it's art, and without getting into the video games or art discussion, <laughs> um, to me, it's it, it's yeah, it's it's an expression of whatever ugliness is inside my brain. But <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's uh, get, getting getting it done is less important than 
like the fact that I did it myself. So if you were going to think about recommending doing either an open source project or uh, a game, like a solo project like yours, Robbie, to someone else, are there some lessons learned? Um, like if you were starting your game today, Robbie, what, what would you say to, to, or let me change that, what would you say to past you um, <laughs> to say, mm. that idea you've got, do it slightly differently? Uh, I think I would say... B2B maybe a bit less blasé about ignoring the defaults because there are a few things that I uh, deliberately deleted the defaults because they didn't fit in line with my what what was what were planned in my head and then hmm. a couple of years later I decide that I need those defaults and I'm like how the hell do I reinstate these? Oh, Do you mean kind of like you went in with the attitude of I will build everything from scratch? Or? Sort of. So I, I went in with the attitude of anything that doesn't fit my very rigid mental model of how this game is going to work is getting it like removed mm. so so i'm using unity and when you create a new project it gives you some boilerplate stuff which you know at the time i didn't necessarily understand what it was <laughs> i saw it was something i didn't seem to need at the time so i binned it in terms of keeping everything clean and completely within my own brain because you know there's a lot of mental overload i guess with some projects there's all that kind of excitement of i want to do the new shiny stuff that i can't do at work i want to play i want to do the exciting stuff and then um, I think I saw on your Twitter account you you mentioned that you were putting in the main menu for the game. Yes, um, it's not it's, exciting, but it's it's important. Yeah, being able to start the game is pretty important. Yeah, um, and I'm guessing was that something that was maybe a boilerplate you deleted back in day that one? That is and... precisely what I'm talking. Yes, there there was a there was a piece of framework that helps you that wires up the UI code, and I had binned some of it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Relating that to an open source project, um, I think did you say there was another open source project you were looking to start, or you were? Oh uh, no, <clears throat> no, that's uh, that's a project currently working on, and kind of like relates to to your upcoming question, to, of um, you know how how do you get started or like mm. how do you get involved? Yeah, I'm, it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, the amount of the sheer amount of code that you would have to read just to even understand portions of the project are are insane. And there's a huge learning curve. I mean, the project is already ongoing. It's, you know, there's features being added all the time. There's bug, physics, bug fixes being raised. So it is quite hard to get started. I guess what I would have told, you know, myself a few years back is just stick with it. Kind of like pay attention to what's happening on the project and, you know, see what you can do. Just keep an eye on it. So as a kind of passive observer to mm. begin with. Yeah, just kind of like read, uh, for most of the projects will end up being on GitHub or, or something like that. So just reading through the issues or, you know, w watching the issues and and seeing what, what issues people have, uh, what's happening in, in the community, following the discussion. So are bugs a good place to start? Um, like, is that a good entry point? So say, oh, someone's reported a bug, I'll go and look at that and then start thinking about new features as a, as a kind of like advanced stage or... I think it really depends because oftentimes people will come up with features that they would like after they've used a given framework or a given library and they, they see what are the shortcomings of that library. So generally you will get ideas for, for features after you've used something. So I guess picking a project that you already use or already like is a really good place to start. Mm. Subsequently, following, you know, are there any bugs, are there any issues, that's, that's always a good place to start. Some repositories actually try to flag up some of the issues as beginner-friendly. So they are effectively designated uh, to be picked up by people whose this might actually be a very first uh, commit to open source. 
and that's the best place to start real in. That's probably a good sign of a, a healthy project as well. I mean, I guess if they've gone to the effort of maintaining the bug list and flagging those, that's probably a nice sign that it's a well-admin project that's that's going to yeah. welcome new people as opposed to... Yeah, it's great because uh, you kind of, you know, when you first start working on the project, you don't know where to even begin and just being able to see a list of bugs, which other people actually, even like seasoned maintainers, won't tr actively try to fix because they aren't critical, but they are... Mm sort of nice things to have. And that's always a great place to start. You can, you know, get exposed to the project, you can see what's the structure, you know, how do, how do I actually make a open source pull request? You know, what do I have to do? Mm -hmm. What process do I have to go through? So yeah, there is uh, definitely, that that's definitely the, the best place to start. So how do you both um, keep momentum on these projects? Um, back in my days when I used to develop, um, I used to have a, a, I was also making a game and it was kind of a labor of love similar to yours and I found that I would have a habit of not touching it for months and months and months and then the first thing I would do when I opened the project would have to be to download lots of system updates lots of IDE updates and then not do anything on the project how, how do you keep the momentum and stop burnout between your day job and your and your uh, open source projects or side projects so I don't um, I, go, I do go through hiatus periods where I'm just you know, because it, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's hard. So you come home after a hard day's work. Sometimes you just can't be bothered. Um, I leave myself copious to do messages. Um, <laughs> another bad practice that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily do in a, a proper environment. Um, last time I was in a hiatus, I got out of it by buying an extra add-on that I needed a thing called Shader Forge, which got me out of a. So you had to justify that payment by. <laughs> no, I don't know. I was just I was I was feeling a bit sad, and I was like, this thing will. This, this this thing will get me like this is this this is a shader programming is a blocker to me doing some stuff and mm. so I got this thing which would make shader programming irrelevant mm. so it's a nice node based graph editor lovely um, and then because so because that enabled some visual updates then when you see something in action that kind of gets the fire going again is that when because like the most satisfying thing about you know working with something like Unity is it's very visually responsive mm. so you can make some you can spend half an hour an hour and something on screen will be doing something. It's very, it's very rapid prototyping in that sense, even though it is, you know, fully fledged C sharp mono under the bonnet. So, but I find it's a, it's a matter of, I I find, like, I find after a hiatus period, it's very easy to get restarted on. So I don't find that hiatuses are necessarily a problem, and certainly coming back after them is not, is not too bad. So, so you would tend to to kind of like do nothing and then do huge bursts of work and then. Going to break again, and yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah, it's as as a as a labor of love. It's very based on my mental state at the time. So, <laughs> yeah, if I'm feeling a bit rough, then I will be doing less things. I'll be grumbling around the edges. And I guess this is maybe the downside it. again of a solo project is that you've got the strengths of it being it's entirely in your control. You can choose what to work on. But I guess on the flip side, you've got no one else uh, depending on you or, or kind of. But on the other you. flip side, if if it fails, you're not disappointing anyone but yourself. Mm. So if I if I actually decided to work with another human being and then for whatever reason I, if I never finish this game then that means their work's gone down the drain I couldn't and also yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to ask somebody else to work on what is a very personal vision so it does sound like a, a solo project self-motivation you've got to make sure you have it otherwise yeah. it's just gonna <laughs> yeah pretty much as minded um what about you Milan how do you keep yourself motivated to keep on uh, contributing to that community I mean, it's kind of just the same. You still have to have the will. You still have to have, you know, find the time to to be able to make the contributions. What I find easier is, you know, spending 
a shorter amount of time every day just so that you're kept within the loop maybe 20 minutes a day or half an hour just to have a look at what's happening you know see if you can you know do the low-hanging low fruit and kind of like you know do a tiny bit every day as opposed to doing doing huge chunks and that way you you stay in the loop with the project and if there's something bigger i generally tend to pick it up over the weekend when i'm not working but that's generally the approach that i take kind of like trying to do a small a small bit every single every single day mm -hmm. cool so i guess um we're, we're talking about external projects but um both of these are tech projects um is there anything you've taken from those projects and taken back into the office? Like any learnings from either ways of working or even just like technical elements to either of them? Not specific to my current project, but a couple of weeks ago I did use a paradigm that I trialed in Warcraft 3 modding years ago doing a wonky side project there. So I guess that because it's it's architecturally very, like, very, very different from you know a, a microservice web service, mm. which is generally what we have around here. So. I suppose in that sense it's a little bit of a playground for other wonky stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to attempt in a you know in a live environment but so it's, it's more of an outlet for you is it kind of like... yeah so so and it, there, there's the possibility of stuff coming through but i guess for me not there's nothing specifically um that i can immediately draw on because they are yeah the domains are so very different even though it's I mean, it's all it's all programming so the things that mm. transfer are the more low level kind of grubbly things than the yeah i guess there's still going to be certain best practices yeah. and how you deal with asynchronous events and and my code like my home code is much more beautiful than it used to be now that i'm a you know <laughs> i've been trained to be a good engineer by yeah. <laughs> continued employment so i mean what, what about that. um like some of the soft skill stuff i mean how do you prioritize what you're doing next on your game um do, do you run a Kanban board at, <laughs> at home? Or? I have a big A4 notepad on my desk and if, I, if something occurs to me, I'll write that down and then eventually one day I will score it out when it's been completed. <laughs> if I scroll back two pages, I will find lots of incomplete features. So prioritization is a bit of an issue, but it comes hand in hand with the momentum thing is that you mm. do the thing that gives you the fire and if there's a feature that doesn't give you the fire, then maybe it's not that important anyway. How about you, Milan? Anything that's translated from work to your open source project or vice versa? I mean, <clears throat> there's definitely a lot of um, soft skills and, and even like engineering skills that do translate in both directions, I, I would say. I mean, I guess on the soft skills, there is the how to talk to people, how to understand what people are trying to get across because you would rarely actually see the pe the contributors face to face. Mm. Most of the time, it will be text based communication. Not everyone has English as their first language, and therefore, it does teach you how to approach a problem in such a way that you can actually get across a point without uh, you know writing uh, huge amounts of lines. The other thing I would say is kind of like judging what may be important uh, for the project or what is in in a given direction, and sort of try moves you towards the goal as opposed to something that's nice to have but doesn't necessarily add value at that point or you know it solves one particular problem but it's not really your long-term goal so sort of prioritization in the sense of you know keeping the the goals in mind and not getting dra uh, dragged down by by you know pull requests and it's really nice to receive pull requests and sort of see that people are actually happy to contribute to something mm -hmm. but at the same time you know, sort of you know keeping an idea of where am i going with this and then there is obviously the, the engineering aspect to it. 
sort of seeing a completely different uh, paradigm in terms of programming, seeing you know how to do <clears throat> good isolation of responsibilities, uh, understanding you know how does it play into the architecture, you know how do you ensure that if you receive a large number of pull requests and you, you merge them that you don't actually end up breaking the system how you know how does it impact uh, the overall community mm -hmm. there's also the aspect of you know you make a change but also it needs to be reflected in the documentation the documentation should be up to date with the most recent apis how do you manage a release process so all of these things play quite nicely into what you can bring back to work yeah what you can bring from work to the project is well Sometimes you, you can sort of pick up on, on some of the architectural patterns as, that you've used at work and you can uh, use open source software or free, free software that you, you have there to sort of implement the same process. Uh, oftentimes I find that the process actually in open source is better than, than what you will find at companies, but that's just because of um, constraints and... It, it is actually, I mean, the, the way you're describing the open source project, I think, I mean, this is just the way workplaces have evolved. The learnings from the open source world and the corporate world are becoming closer and closer and closer and i think the tech companies that tend to be more successful these days seem to follow the open source patterns That's as right, a yeah. as a model um i mean it was interesting you were talking there about you might be talking to people who english isn't their first language and they're not co-located um i mean you think about skyscanner we're now in how many different countries um, eight nine yeah support um supporting multiple languages multiple code bases it, it fits the, the open source model quite closely. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Which is good. So I guess all in all, um, two very different projects that you're both working on. Um, would you recommend doing this kind of thing to, to others that might be listening to this? Is it something worth committing the time to? Well, that's going to depend entirely on whether people actually like playing my game at some point. <laughs> I, I mean... It's, are it's, are it, you going to uh, commit to a release date for you? <laughs> I mean, they can they can just implement their own game, right? It can be just, it can yeah. be just as crazy, but well, that's that's the thing about the open source community, isn't it? If you see a thought, you see a problem, you can go in and fix it. So mm. if you if you feel that you're not being catered to by the mainstream gaming producers, then make your own. Which is basically kind of why my game is the shape that it is, because people aren't really making quite the game that I want. So um, in terms of recommending it, I mean, it's going to based a lot on your temperament. I am quite obsessive and passionate about things, so. I, I have the and and I'm also you know a trained engineer so I have the the technical ability and the the, the gumption to do it but I think most people like it's a difficult it's very long and hard process so I don't know if I can recommend it necessarily but I love it and if I mean, you can what, what was your it, exposure to Unity before you started this I mean are you uh, no I, I mean you're a trained exposure. engineer but I'm guessing yeah. you're self-taught in Unity yeah so I I was I did well I did Java at university and then it's been C sharp in the corporate world ever since so Unity is based it's C sharp programming, but yeah, the the programming, the paradigm, the way it constructs or the, the way the framework interacts with your code and its code is mm. is it was completely alien. Yeah, so I did have to do a period of tutorial following, um, and as they, like the game is three years old now, it's only getting to the point where its architecture is kind of quite solid, and I've, I finally got to grips with how Unity does things versus how. I naively would have done things previously, so. But it's been an enjoyable three years, would you say? Yeah. Like going through that learning process. It's, it's the thing. It's it's a labor of love, and it's it's very rewarding to see. Now you know I can press play, and my robots run around and batter each other. And it's, <laughs> it's not anyone else's robots; it's my robots. I made them do that. Every every single bit of that is so. It's, it's the level. The satisfaction is 
is unparalleled, but it's it takes a lot of graft. To so get I, there. Say, so, I mean, for you, it's, it's very much a passion project. Yeah. Is, is the the appeal for you, um, Milan? In the in the, the open source projects you're working on, would you recommend other people getting involved in that? And and what would they get out of it if they did? I mean, <clears throat> definitely. I think I think everyone who can should should get involved to to a certain degree. You don't necessarily have to, you know, make a software contribution. There is always enough to you know enough contribution around the community that needs to be done there's always documentation and so on and i think you can get if nothing else then you can get your name on the list of contributors you can get your name on a given release which already is a good enough feeling but if you factor in the fact that you actually use some of this open source uh, even in your day job then it's really pleasing to be able to to say that i've actually sort of helped this -hmm. software you know be what it is I think I think there's a lot of skills that you can gain, and some of some of the learnings can be accelerated by having other people mentor you or you know help out in, in certain situation. It was interesting there. You, you mentioned the fact that you get your name on the release, which is which is quite a cool thing. We were talking on Slack beforehand though about a potential anti-pattern almost on on open source projects. Um, some employers now almost kind of demand to see your GitHub. Hub um, contributions or your open source contributions. How do people feel about that? I mean, like Robbie, yours is a is a private project. You're not going to be yeah. sharing that on GitHub. Or Definitely like that. not. Um, do it, is committing to an open source project or a side project as CV material? Is that the right motivation? Is it is it something you would encourage, or should that be a a kind of bonus side effect if you chose to? I don't know. I uh, you can you can view it from two different sides. You can view it as as the potential candidate or as the person making the contribution if the sole reason is to you know get your name on there and actually get job offers because of that then sure that may not be the best of reasons to do it but if you look at it from the other side then if it's a meaningful contribution then it's always wanted it's Mm -hmm. always welcome so even it even though they may be due to sort of not the right reasons then it is still a contribution and therefore, you know, you shouldn't shoot it down just because uh, someone actually tries to get a name on the list. I, th- I think that that may be a valid point. And just because employers ask for it, uh, well, it's unfortunate in some circumstances that you would have to be an open source contributor just to get a job. Mm. But it is what it is. And, you know, there's not enough contributors to, to go around and, and we, we, we will be happy to accept uh, whatever contribution we can get. Yeah, I think the the problem with employers kind of expecting it almost is is that it um it limits a lot of people because if you may not be able to do open source work outside work hours for personal reasons, you might have a family, you might have or you might just have a very hard working day and not want to spend your outside hours also working. So to to make it a a thing which is like yeah, a, a prerequisite for a job is it's a slippery slope to me. It's that kind of 24-hour startup you know, burnout mm. culture, which is a little bit dangerous. So, yeah, it is a double-edged sword. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I guess so many places we work, um, you can't really show your portfolio of what you do in the office because it's private for many reasons. Um, but at the same time, kind of just contributing to an open source project to get CV fodder, it, it feels a little bit wrong to me. It feels like you need to be passionate about it, either as a labour of love project or... Uh, the examples you gave Milan where it was like something like React you use and you want to give back to the community those seem like more uh, pure reasons to, <laughs> to be doing it if you will 
I mean, um, you can dress it up whatever you want, but, mm. but... Yeah, the thing is, what I'm saying is, if, 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 if it's a good quality contribution, the reason why yeah. you made that contribution is, I guess, it's your problem. The, the, the project will be quite happy that it's got a good piece of code out of it, so... Cool. Um, okay, so that was a nice little chat there about uh, open source... Well, not just open source, because you're just closed source, Robbie. Um, side projects in general. Um, anything else you want to cover on that? I actually just want to rescind my earlier declaration that it's very difficult to make video games. It's actually not. It depends entirely on what type of video game you're making. I have chosen to make something really stupidly complex, and that's my own damn fault. So, Robbie, this is the second time you've been on the podcast, and for two out of two times, <laughs> you're uh, rescinding something you said this earlier. This time, I'm rescinding my own of my own <laughs> volition, because actually, yeah, the, the video games industry is not really diverse enough, and we need more crazy stuff. Um, and the definition of what a game is and what makes art is very fluid and actually everyone should get stuck in. Unity is very quick and easy to use if you're doing simple stuff with it. If you want to go complex, fine. If you don't, that's also fine. Would, would you like to share your Twitter account so people can see when they finish, when your game's finished and they can get it? <laughs> That'll be a no then. <laughs> you don't want to be forced onto it. Yeah, um, I don't want it to be CV fodder. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, um, so Milan, what were the, just as a reminder folks, what were the projects you're working on, if people would like to contribute to those? So I contribute to React and React Native. And I assume you can just find those on... Oh, you can just go on GitHub and, well, these are really huge frameworks right now, so you should be able to find them just Googling. Google, you see. Yeah. Right. Okay. Other search engines are available. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so that's us for another episode. Um, if you'd like to give any feedback, uh, please tweet us at CodeVoyagers. It's been a while since we've done it, and I had to remind myself of what the Twitter account there was. Uh, there'll also be a blog post accompanying this on codevoyagers.com, uh, which I think Robbie's going to write up for us. Very good. Thanks. I, I, I was, You're the one that's got right access to that. I don't, so you can do that. Um, and if you've got any ideas for future topics, please let us know. Um, we are going to be possibly starting a security-focused podcast soon. Um, we host a security meetup here in Edinburgh uh, regularly. And as kind of like a primer for that, we're hopefully going to have one of our security team on um, talking about that in a future episode. But any other topics, please let us know. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.